Hey there, everyone. Welcome to yet another installment of Rocket MSP. I'm Steve Taylor, your host. Today, I am joined by my friend Josh Gay. Josh, I I should have told you to put a headline in there. That oh. way, it, it put your your company name on the bottom. Josh is with Bifrost Cloud. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for thanks, thanks for popping in, man. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It's always nice. Yeah. So before before we dive into it, you and I started talking about ChatGPT uh, before we went live, and um, I, I don't know. I'm a fan. I've I've been using AI writers for about a year and a half now. So once I saw ChatGPT do its thing, my mind was blown because even the AI writers I've been using, it's not this good. Yeah. No. With the other ones, it was you still sounded a bit like an alien when you read it out loud, but chat is like, I was saying a second ago, I kind of call it like a calculator for the writing process. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't, it accelerates the creative juices so much faster when you could, you know, rather than sitting there pen on paper, pounding your head against the wall, trying to come up with a title for something just to use it for inspiration is pretty great. Yeah, it really is. And, and even asking it to write things like, I just used it to uh, to write some LinkedIn posts for me earlier. Now I I told it like here's here's what I want to say like rewrite it for me for a LinkedIn post. So I mean I, I still came up with my own um, opinions, independent, fully insourced idea. Right? Uh, it was it was still it was still it was still mine. I just had it help me refine it. Yeah, and that's, again, it's going to be like that, you know, graphics calculator you had in high school. Where you really have to figure out how to prompt it and use the tool, but you're still the one telling it what to do. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the education space with it, especially. I think we may have to go back to the old stand and deliver where you have to stand in front of the class and answer the questions since yeah. you can't do any take-home exams anymore. It's just all right there. So... You know, you, you said something that that made me kind of wonder. Uh, you said it's it's like today's version of the graphing calculator. Um, I I don't know about you. I used to play. Uh, I think it was called Drug Wars on my calculator. <laughs> <laughs> we had, they hadn't gone that far, so I, I may be a little bit older than you. Yeah, we were still I, um, figuring out how to use the the Bluetooth to send notes between each other. Oh yeah, no. So I I graduated two thousand two. Okay. And so, yeah. And drug wars. Uh, it was, it was. Uh, I I didn't have Bluetooth on my calculator, but drug wars was just this like text only game, and and I feel like I played it as well as all those guys on uh, the Wall Street Bets subreddit, uh, buy high, sell low, because that's literally all you're doing. You're you're buying drugs and you're selling drugs. And it's just like this menu, like, which one do you want to buy? 20 Quaaludes for $12 or, or I'm like, wow, Quaaludes are cheap, man. I want to get some. Try them out. But, uh... <laughs> it's good prep for paying your way through college. Hmm. So so that, that was a fun game. But uh, on, a, on a more serious topic, I, I wonder uh, how long it'll be before you're able to like start programming chat GPT. And I don't mean using the API because sure, I know there's an API and you can, you can access it through that. I mean, like, I wonder 
if there's going to be a come a point where you're in chat GPT and you're playing drug wars or whatever today's version of it is, you know, Farmville, whatever, right? And it's and it's a text-based game all through the chat GPT system. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how predictive that comes. You know, that was always kind of the hole in the the text-based games, is that you know, even going back to old really old school to choose your own adventure books, there's only so many versions that you can have where with this, yeah, it's potentially never ending, right? Just different yeah. input into the back end of the system will create a million different outputs potentially. Man, choose your own adventure. I gotta get some of those books for my son. I forgot all about those. Those were <laughs> those were, dare I say, the bomb.com. It's true. I rewatched Big the other day, the movie with Tom Hanks, and it was that brought it back to top of mind. Oh man. It's such a good movie. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dig into something that MSPs might actually care about. Let's talk about Bifrost Cloud. Can you can you tell me what what is Bifrost Cloud? Yeah. So at a, a super high level, it's S3 compatible cloud object storage. But what makes this unique is that it's distributed. So rather okay. than having all of your data in one data center. The way we work is essentially our customers send us, send our gateway an object where we run it through an erasure code that breaks it up into 80 individually useless chunks, encrypt those and distribute it among the 20,000 different storage providers we have access to around the world. And as long as 30 of the 80 are up and running, the data is fully recoverable and it's self-healing so that if 15 of the 80 report being down, it repopulates back out to 80. So it, we've done everything we can from an architecture perspective to eliminate the resilient the reliance on the hardware resilience in order for the storage to perform okay so now explain it to me like i'm a fifth grader because i know some msps get what you just said but not all of them okay so basically it's like you give us a pizza we mm -hmm. break it back down into all the ingredients save the ingredients in different closets all over the place so that you know if one closet gets flooded all your stuff is still around and then when you come back to us and say i want a pizza we just put your pizza back together again hmm. okay i do like pizza so that's a good analogy so so s3 storage um that is something that i think everybody by now has some level of experience with thanks to platforms like MSP360, um, gosh, uh, the, the backup, Comet Backup. Like there's, there's like a lot of these that are, that are able to store things to S3. And typically when I think of S3, the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, then the next ones that come to mind are wasabi and there's maybe a couple others right um where they're significantly more cost effective than amazon s3 you are offering something that i believe is even more cost effective than those right yeah so we're actually about half of what wasabi is advertising today on a per okay. terabyte basis with the pretty much the same egress policy so it one of the first questions I typically get on all my calls with MSPs is, you know, how are you able to do that? Because it, you know, everybody 
our most of our customers also have their own internal environment where they have their own object storage as a destination for all those backup software that you described. And there's a, a couple of reasons why. The big reason is that because of the architecture that I described earlier, you don't need to invest in the highest end hardware that's out there and put it in a billion dollar data tier four data center. You know, we allow people to extend the life of their existing hardware or even to sell capacity on hardware that hasn't been used yet. It's just sitting there waiting for customers. So because of that, our costs are significantly lower. Not to mention the fact that we've got 20,000 storage providers competing for a small piece of your our customers' data. So it's good old capitalism combined with a very environmentally strong story of utilizing existing gear for a long time. So if I wanted to be one of the hosts, are you tell me I could run this all on like a Pentium 3? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, it's going to require a little bit of work to be a member. It's one of the problems that, that we're actively solving and should have a better solution for next year. But today we're aggregating multiple storage networks and communities to deliver this service. Okay. Do you know uh, roughly how much data are you storing for people today? Uh, I mean, as a privately held company, I can't go into exacts, but I can say that we haven't reached an exabyte, but we're working on it. Okay. I mean that that's that's just a fun word to say, exabyte, right? <laughs> um, that's that's cool, man. All right, so pricing, I believe, is on your website, right? No, so we're again as a channel first company, we we don't publicize our pricing on our website just to protect our resellers, right? It's sure that our model is traditional buy sell rather than having all the end users write us a check and paying the MSP back a commission. Gotcha. And I see Wasabi's like six bucks a terabyte a month. So logic dictates that you're roughly three. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's tremendous. That's uh, below a cent for a gigabyte, if I do my math correctly. Yeah. And what we're finding is that it's really unlocking a lot of end users use cases that even at six dollars a terabyte it just the the small medium businesses just couldn't justify that expense so we're seeing a lot of msps back up workloads that otherwise weren't being backed up or backing it like the retention periods are drastically increasing so we actually initially when we went to market we did a lot of work with the surveillance industry and archiving video and that was one of the, the big secrets that we unlocked for the dealers that are working with us in that space is to be able to have their customers have more than a week or 10 days of retention for a very manageable expense. So I'm sitting here thinking of questions as, as we go, because uh, that's how I roll, right? Um, so what I'm real curious to see is kind of like how this thing works on the back end. Um, you know, how, how easy is it to set up a, I don't know, whatever you call it, a container or a storage unit or whatever? Bucket. Bucket. Yeah, that. Yeah. So it's, our, our portal is super duper basic. And you can go in there and you can create an access key 
and you have an a destination and plug that into just about any backup software. So Veeam, mm -hmm. Comet, MSP360, I'll say the list goes on and on and on. And at that point, we're no different than any other storage destination once you get that configured. If you are going to be utilizing it yourself, you can create buckets either via our portal. We have a bucket creator there. Or you can use command line interface or even freeware tools like uh, S3 browser, which basically turns our object storage into the full GUI interface. Hmm. Okay. And then um, you said we can plug this into any of these platforms or just about any of these platforms. Is, is there one that you have found plays nicer or do they all, if, if we like one's interface better, it's Pepsi versus Coke. Yeah. It, it's Pepsi versus Coke. You know, it, we're, we stay as agnostic as possible in that space. We just, when I'm talking to MSPs that are shopping for different backup software, then it, it comes down to, you know, knowing the market and talking a little bit more in depth about what exactly they're looking for. Are they looking for price? Are they looking for features? And, we spend a lot of time helping people find that right partner, but even more often than that, everybody has it already baked into their system. You know, they're, they're walking in the room as an expert on their own backup software that they use every day. So we're not asking them to change their behavior. They just need to change the, the destination from one storage provider to another. It's that simple. Okay. Now your website has a lot of, I don't know if they're buzzwords or, I don't I don't know what the right term I'm looking for is, but I feel like some of this you are probably even speaking over most MSPs heads when you say things like auto fire drilling or Byzantine yeah. fault tolerant. <laughs> yeah, we're we're working on fixing that. I actually just worked on a draft earlier this week, but uh, that's what happens when you let a CTO have editing pro or priority in your website design. But <laughs> it's also to, to be honest, because we're not targeting end users, it helps filter out a lot of people that, you know, want to back up their iPhone into our cloud. And that's, sure. that's really not the market we're in, nor are we built to support personal level backups. Good. I, I mean, I say good because selfishly, uh, MSPs want one, want a vendor that is, channel focused and maybe channel only right yeah yeah and that's my entire background so i've i've lived my whole career in the channel and this is my second venture onto the into the dark side as a vendor previous to this i worked in the wireless space i spent a lot of time brokering data centers and network connectivity is and selling servers even before that i mean my my dad was selling used data communication equipment in the 80s so that that was my very very early entry into the world was sitting in his warehouse cleaning used router switches and hubs so all those experiences have led me to be very protective of our channel partners and for where we're at right now it doesn't like we're not trying to have a call center of a million people supporting all of the end users we want to work with partners like msps that can do most of the support on their their own i mean it's cloud object storage it doesn't require a ton of skill to support it's mostly mm -hmm. just in the setup process and that's where msps thrive great 
Um, are you able to show us a demo of of what it's like being an admin in the interface? Sure. Let me pull it up ready. I didn't have that set up to do just because it's pretty basic, but let me get it going. All good. And while you're doing that, uh, one thing, I don't know if we touched on it, 29s. I, I saw that at first and I thought to myself, okay, these guys must have a different idea of what a nine is because they say there's 20 of them. And then I see right below that, 99.99999. Like there's a lot of nines. Uh, percent durability guaranteed. Now you say durability when normally I, I hear the term uptime. Yeah, those are two very different metrics. Durability is basically us not losing your data versus uptime is you having access to the data. So in this, you know, uptime is basically just more of a, okay, how HA is your gateway to all this data? Where durability is, you know, what needs to happen in order for you to lose data. Okay. And do you know what your uptime is like? We have yet to have an outage in the two years that we've been live. So, and and even if you do have an outage, it's it's typically like one one company's server farm of the twenty thousand you're working with, right? So it's it's not even a real outage per se. Yeah, as far as the all the storage providers on the back end, their outages are are insignificant, right? Unless fifty of them go down within an hour, and they're all around the world, and at that point, we probably have much larger problems as citizens of the world. Right. Then it, it's not going to affect you at all. Really, the the one potential risk in the architecture, as far as uptime is concerned, are our gateways, and that's that's how people access all of those storage providers. Gotcha. Okay. So, so far you've got a hundred percent uptime. Have you ever actually lost any data that you're willing to share? Nope. Hasn't okay. happened. So you've got, I mean, 29 is durability guaranteed, but hundred, hundred percent so far on your, on your actual durability. Yep. All right. Trying to share screen. This is a new interview. I think we're having that so. issue where I lost you again. Uh oh, all right, can you see my screen? Let me try uh, just switching to my monitor speakers. Okay. The joys of technology. I'm still not hearing right. you, dude. All right, so I'll... I'll just keep talking and hoping that they can hear me on the recording. Uh, so you, I'm hoping that you can see the the portal right now. This is just my personal demo. You can see your storage usage. You can see your bandwidth consumption. Click here to create access keys. You can see your endpoint destination. Hit create new. And it gives you the access permissions that you might want to connect as well as you can edit the back the buckets that those access keys have ac access to. Somehow I lost you, and then I just got you back. All right. So then bucket creation again, very straightforward. Just enter in your bucket name, and away it goes. Okay. Users invite new users. 
all really straightforward stuff. Now with users, I assume you can do permission-based where maybe this user can only access a certain bucket? Uh, not today. So the user-based permissions are, are targeted towards the end of Q2. But it, for limiting access, that's going to typically come with the access keys. So the user-based permissions will probably come in more of like you have a billing resource internally that you want to be able to see consumption but not do anything else. Gotcha. That's kind of what it is. For security purposes in that line, we have it set up so that you can't do any deletions or actually see any of the data within the portal itself. Good. Yeah. So that's that's the bulk of it. You know, 2FA is enabled. You have access to our document library with a lot of the setup stuff for the backup softwares we talked about or some of our integration partners. But yeah. Like Unfortunately, as far as demo goes, it's possibly the least sexy that I've ever seen in my life, but that's part of what object storage is and what people want is that it's just clean and simple to use. No, man, that's honestly, that's perfect. You you gave it to us straight. You, you made sure that we understand what exactly we're looking at. I, I couldn't ask for more. And you, you made it quick. <laughs> I am generally straight to the point. Yeah, it. It's amazing how short a lot of these conversations are with new MSPs. Like I had one this morning with an MSP in Houston that went seven minutes and he's like, awesome. Send me the demo account. Let me play with it. See how it works. And then, yeah, if it makes sense next week, we'll start throwing up more data. So, so let's, let's get into some uh, tougher questions. Mm -hmm. uh, contracts. Do you, do you guys require any contracts or anything? So we do have a contract that defines our relationship, business mm -hmm. relationship. You're just going to have to have that as a reseller agreement. But there are no terms, no minimum retention policies, no minimum spend. It's really just a way to, to lock in today's pricing for you for extended term and define like how we can bill you and all that stuff. So we could start off with zero gigs, terabytes, whatever, and then three months later, finally start using a few terabytes and then six months after that, decide we're going to take our ball and go home and remove everything, delete the buckets, and now we stop getting billed. It's your data. Do what you'd okay. like with it. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously that's not ideal for us, but <laughs> it's, no, you know, no, it's... Our, our ideal would be that you, you archive a file and it sits with us for 100 years. But no, that's the reality of data, and that's the kind of partner we want to be where you know, we're here to serve you. So however we could do that, that's what we're going to do. And, and look, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, let's figure out how to, how to become short-term partners. I'm just simply saying that for the MSPs who are, uh, let's, let's be politically correct, more difficult to please. <laughs> In the MSP community, oh man, everybody's so easy to work with. So, so for the MSP who who maybe uh, expects this, and you were very clear that you provide this, and they just they're unhappy because of this little little bit right here, and and they're gonna make a big stink about it. They they can just go. You probably yeah. don't want partners like that anyway. It depends on what that little bit is, right? If that little bit is the same little bit that we talk about with a lot of other partners, then yeah, we're going to get to work on fixing that little bit and creating it. I mean, that's like all 
software and as a service type companies, customer demand drives what's in the product queue. And that's, you know, we're, we have a long list of things we're actually working on. And I meet with the CTO every day to discuss what needs to move up and down the priority list based on feedback. So what kind of uh, things are you working on today? Yeah, so I talked about the, the user permissions. Uh, one of the big features that we don't have today that is in hot demand that I'm hoping to have by the end of Q2 is S3 object lock. And that's what enables immutability within Veeam. So that's one very popular feature. The other thing, which is going to be a much more long-term project, is enabling geofencing. So oh. one of the areas, yeah, one of the areas where we're not a fit today is for people with really strict data sovereignty or data residency requirements. We can't promise that all of the 20,000 users that we might choose from, the 80 of the 20,000 are all within like the United States or Canada right now. But we're working on that. It's just a, it's not going to be available in every market. As you might imagine, finding 80 people in Luxembourg that are, you know, able to distribute it, it, it doesn't really work with our model. But in larger markets like the US and Canada, we could probably make that work. And um, how does the EU work? Is it okay as long as they're in the EU or does it have to be in each country for GDPR? So we enable true end-to-end -end encryption and that ticks most of those GDPR boxes. Oh, the, good. Yeah, the, the, usually the data residency requirements are separate from GDPR. So that's where it comes into how you're using the data and specifically what kind of data you're sharing. You know, our our opinion is that really once the data gets run through the erasure code, it's effectively destroyed because each of those chunks, even if somebody opens it up, there's nothing to find there but garble. And we know we got a ways to convince the world of that that's a reality. But as expected, governments are a little bit behind the curve on a lot of things, and they still view these digital assets as physical assets. They're trying to understand how to best regulate that. Um, let's talk about other types of compliance. HIPAA, you'll sign a BAA? Mm -hmm. Yep, we have. Perfect. Um, any other types of compliance that are notable that maybe you are not able to comply with besides uh, data sovereignty? I mean, there's, there's so many compliance standards out there, but data sovereignty is going to be a whole. And then the requirements that enable them to be able to physically inspect and access the data center because I mean, we don't own the data centers. They're independent storage providers, right? And we have IP addresses, but that doesn't come with a physical address. So we can't really send inspectors out to look at 20,000 independent data centers. And because of that, you don't have, um, I can't think of it, SOC? You don't, you don't like, you don't have any of that type of stuff because you don't have data centers. Yeah. I mean, we're going down that path, just like some MSPs have gone down the SOC 2 path so they can say as a organization, they're compliant, but yeah, we don't have any physical data centers for them to come in and investigate. So some ideas, uh, just as, as we talk that, that are floating through my brain, and these are probably already ideas that you guys are, are, either thinking about or working on. Um, you mentioned being able to, to pick and choose for data sovereignty. Um, 
man, it'd, it'd be cool if you could start collecting data about each of your data centers. Like these are all the ones that are SOC 2 compliant. And these are all the ones that are in each uh, country, each you know locality, et cetera. Just collect all that data. That way, when you've got somebody that says, um, hey, I need to be SOC 2 compliant with all the data and blah, 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 blah. You just check a couple boxes and now we're only being stored in those data centers. And sure, there's probably not 20,000 that are going to be SOC 2, but hopefully there's a few hundred. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's definitely something on our roadmap. So big picture, I mentioned earlier that we're aggregating multiple storage networks behind us. Mm -hmm. Big picture, we're going to be working on creating our own and reaching out to the same MSP community to be those end or those supply side providers. And at that point, we're essentially like a marketplace, and all of those MSPs are getting a cut of all the profits directly. So rather than just having whatever they're marking it up from, they have some gear that's sitting there just collecting dust. They can throw it up on our network, have a a buy price on it within the network, and We'll be able to utilize it in the same general architecture because it's going to be higher end gear we probably won't need to have such a generous erasure code but yeah i think that that's definitely on our roadmap so that we can enable those boxes to be checked. that's really great man is there anything else that you think msps need to know today i think you know the kind of the one other story on our branding is you know bifrost is kind of that bridge between in Norse mythology, at least, between mortals and in the land of the gods. And one of the philosophies that drives us as a company is that we're trying to enable all the independent, small and medium-sized providers around the world to pool together their resources and actually compete with the 800-pound gorillas in the industry, You know, some of the richest companies in the history of the world. So we're excited to not have all the world's data stored with the wealthiest corporations in the history of the world. And that's what really what's driving us to get this product out into the world and popularized. Awesome. Well, Hey, look, I know we have an hour booked, but I don't see a reason to milk this. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's give all the MSPs a, a half hour back in their day. We'll, we'll give you a half hour back in your day. Thank you so much for coming on here and doing this. Uh, check out Bifrost, B-I-F-R-O-S-T, cloud.com. And uh, you can get signed up, I believe, right from the the website. It says sign in. Um, yeah. No, we Basically, the easiest way to do it from there is either to, to send us an email with to set up a conversation, or you can even just, you know, set, schedule a meeting directly from there. There it is. Yeah, down on the down on the bottom, right above the footer, they've got a ready to start get in touch form. So at least making the account requires uh, a touch from somebody on the team, which is good because this is a channel only company. So they want to make sure that you are actually indeed part of the channel. That's a fact, not to mention a bad actor. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun edit process, but yeah, we have demo accounts readily accessible. So if you, anybody wants to come on and just do their own testing and see the performance for themselves, they're certainly capable. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. Have a great day, Steve. It was a pleasure. You too.